Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Art of Money podcast, where I share honest conversations about how money influences our personal experiences, beliefs, and relationships, infusing this taboo subject with a loving dose of dark chocolate and inspiring encouragement. I am Barry Tesler, a financial therapist, author, and creator of The Art of Money, which is my flagship program, year-long money school, and global community. Integrating money healing, money practices, and money maps, The Art of Money is my holistic framework, blending therapeutic, body-based practices with the real-life tools you need to create healthy, sustainable change in your relationship with money. So you can say goodbye to that dusty old budget and hello to healing your money life. Learn more on my website, barrytesler.com. For now, grab something to sip on, get comfy, and tune in to today's episode of the Art of Money podcast. Hello, dear Art of Money community. I am very excited today to do an interview with a guest teacher, and I have not done a new interview with a guest teacher for a long, long time, so we are due. And today we have the honor of having Tad Hargrave with us, and I am going to read his bio because I just read it, it was funny um, and kind of short, so I'm going to read that first and then I will, I will welcome him in. So Tad Hargrave is a hippie who developed a knack for marketing and then learned how to be a hippie again. For almost a decade, he's been touring his marketing workshops around Canada, bringing refreshing and unorthodox ideas to conscious entrepreneurs and green businesses that help them grow their organizations and businesses without selling their souls. He does improv comedy semi-professionally, co-runs Edmonton's Progressive Community Building Network, the local good.ca, founded streetcarshows.com and the jams program of yesworld.org. He speaks Scottish Gaelic and is also a huge Dr. Who nerd, who I don't even know who that is. And you can learn more about him at marketingforhippies.com. Welcome, Tad. Hey, so good to be here. So I also am realizing that I don't interview that many folks from Canada. Well, I've interviewed Tanya Geisler. It's really it's really time for me to be interviewing folks across that border there. Yeah. So thank you. Thank you for that. And the reason I wanted to bring Tad on is I've known about Tad for at least a decade, probably longer, I think so. And recently I was on Facebook one night and you know, I'm always looking at the art of money community and the questions and just what's what's coming up in the Facebook group and what's coming up in the questions. And every year there, there are people who have questions about what do I do in cash flow dips, which are a totally normal part of life, totally normal part of our relationship to money. Um, you know, whether you are a beginning entrepreneur in the middle, whether you have a cash flow dip or you want to just simply bring in more income. Um, to bring on a virtual assistant or to go on a book tour like I did last summer, or you're really in a cash flow crunch in between part-time jobs or jobs or so on. So I was seeing a lot of this and followed the trail and 
stumbled onto Tad's site, and there was a course called In the Meantime. And I was totally intrigued and then reached out to Tad, and Tad sent me an ebook um, on this concept of what are ideas, what can you do in cash flow crunches and crisis and when you need to come up with more income in the moment or quickly or faster. And he sent me this ebook to just peek at, and I didn't get to peek at until yesterday. I thought it was a 20-page ebook, and it was a 130-page ebook um, that was extremely thorough, that had 35 amazing ideas in it. Um, I usually have one idea that I'll talk about when I'm in a when I've been in cash flow dips over the years. I've only had one, and there were 35. So. We won't get to all 35 of them, but I just want to name nine of them, Tad, and then sure. I want to open it up to, yeah, hearing your experience, your your brilliance in this, and you think about this as much as I think about money or our relationship to money or other areas, you know. And I know that we were talking before we started recording, and this ebook is one of 13, <laughs> so there are many other parts of marketing that you write on. And that more ebooks are coming soon, coming this year. So, um, here are nine of the ideas that jumped out for me. The first one is repurposing existing content. The second one is emailing your list, promoting the most popular product or service you've got. That's the idea that I've had. Number three is it's time to hustle and sell, collect, rent, borrow, or finance things. Number four is crowdfunding. Five is um, ask, barter, trade. Six is get a part-time job, which I love, Part the practicality of that. Uh, seven, hold a 24-hour sale. Eight, do a seasonal promotion. And nine, host a pay-what-you-can workshop. So, Ted, why don't you first start out with, like, what compelled you to write a 130-page ebook? On this topic, um, you know, I had a lot of clients who would come to me over the years in a cash flow crunch, and most of my approach in marketing, you know, as you might be able to tell from the name, marketing for hippies is just a more slow, organic, kind of no pressure approach to to business and sales, and so it was tricky because. They were fundamentally, you know, like, how do I make money quick? And I'm like, well, you know, by building a relationship over time and educating people and developing a reputation and having a niche and all this stuff that isn't um, very helpful in a in a crisis. And they were um, – those kind of clients are not the most fun to work with when they're in a crisis. You know, I don't know. It's true for all of us when we're in a crisis. We're not necessarily – particularly aware of other people's boundaries. We're just drowning and grabbing at anything. And so to be talking with people in a crisis, you know, I'd try to give them ideas, but it's just, of course, those ideas wouldn't work. And and um, when what they really needed was uh, some long, long-term long fixing. And so I, I kind of got to a point where I was like, I just don't want to deal with people who are in that place. But then I, I thought about it. And I thought, you know, I've had times where I needed to generate a lot of money quickly. And I did. You know, I needed ten grand, and a few months later, I had ten grand, and just the hustling. And so I thought, well, you know, what, what do I know about this? Like, just made, like, and I was thinking maybe something I could send people. And at that point, all I was thinking was a blog post. I have a blog post I could send people to, 
which I, it did turn into. It was like 15 things that you can do if your cash flow is tight. And, um, but then I also started reaching out to other colleagues and just asking them, like, what, what advice do you give? Somebody comes to you and they're just in a desperate place, you know, and they know that the long-term fix is having a niche in their business. They know that the long-term fix is, you know, working out their cash flow, having a more solid business and systems and all this. But what do they do in the meantime yeah. was my question, and which is where the, the name of the program in the meantime came from. So yeah, what are they, what are they, and also the meantime because it's 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 mean. It's kind of a vicious time to be in. It's not mm-hmm. a particularly kind moment to find oneself in. Uh, not very forgiving. And so, um, I got a lot of ideas, but I still found even with those ideas, people were coming to me in such a frenzy, just caught in the swirl of of the crisis. And so this program in the meantime came out of it. And what I realized was the very first thing that people needed to do was take the financial pressure out of the equation as much as possible. Like space needed to be created. If there wasn't space, people would just make terrible decisions and wouldn't be able to implement even really good ideas because um, you're just it's, it's everything swirling so fast. And so when I came up with the program, the idea was I've done it six times now. Um, and week one, all we do for that whole week, the, the homework is – um, well, I mean, sort of before it, we just talk about just kind of getting our head on straight about the whole thing. And one of the questions I'll ask is, you know, um, what's the blessings in this? Like, what, what, what's good about this crisis? I'm not saying it's a good thing, but what can you see in it that is good, that's helpful? Like, um, and because it's funny, I mean, mo- I'm not – I used to um, – be really into like Tony Robbins and Rara personal growth when I was younger and I've really moved away from that. But I feel like when you're in the meantime, it's, it's a great moment to bust out those old Tony Robbins tapes for a crunch, you know, cause you are, it's, um, you're kind of needing to intervene and take, have some pretty young energy in my mind to like get through some of the stuff. Because you're but, spiraling yeah. downwards and you're, you know, so yeah, you, you know, right. Yeah. You do you go gotta into fire up the rockets. To, right, yeah. right. So you do give space for what are the emotions? Um, sure. You do give space right away because people take the program and are they looking to make money or cash like within that first week or do they know that they're going to need a few weeks or they're going to need a full month? They, or? they know they'll need a bit of time. Okay. Yeah. But you know, it's like the um, and they know the, the structure of it. But you know, one of the first things I'll just ask is like, yeah, where um, where is this? Uh, a good thing Mm. what are the blessings in this because if you can't Mm. see any blessings in the situation at all you're just going to resent the whole damn thing but often people can they can be like oh my god this is finally a chance to really handle a lot of issues around my business this is a uh, you know it's a chance for me to let go of certain things that aren't serving me anymore it's a real uh, transformational moment you know, a chance to make a lot of changes they've probably been meaning to make for a while, <coughs> address issues that they, they haven't. So there's that. And then one of the questions I'll ask, too, is, so, you know, what, I'll have them just, you know, draw a line down a piece of paper on one side. It's like right now in your business, what are you proud of and where are you being irresponsible? Okay. And it's another place where people start to see, like, oh, man, there's actually a lot of places I'm being irresponsible. And it's like, look, so number one, those places you're irresponsible right now, this is at the root of why you're in this moment or, you know, it's, it's, it's not separate from it. Um, so that's number one, but it's like number two, 
this list of things you're um, being irresponsible about in the next 30 days in this program, engage with them in such a way that they become the things you're proud about. Yeah. You know, move them over to the other column. Um, so that's kind of the framing of it. But then the first week, all we do is people tidy their physical environments. That's it. Yep. It's decluttering, yep. going through your closet, getting rid of the that clothes is. you don't want, going through the bookshelves. Because mm. I just found that people have to start with a win. When you're in that downward spiral, there just has to be something in your control, and that's an easy one. And it's for some people, it's one of the most powerful parts of the program because it's just this immediate you know, we all know the feeling, that rush of energy when you when you tidy and organize. And everybody, almost everyone in the program, you know, has had some level of clutter physically. And when they do that, it just starts to, it's one of the fastest ways I know to get people out of the rut. Yeah. Then the second week, we uh, look at creating other kinds of space. So like temporal, emotional, social space. So it's just like look through your calendar, cancel appointments that you're not stoked on. Are you on a volunteer board? and you're just not feeling it anymore, and you really don't honestly have the space for it, <coughs> ethically find a way to step back as quickly as you can. Uh, you know, uh, are there people you need to apologize to? Is there, um, can you clean up your computer desktop too and look through your files and start to get that organized as well? Just creating order because um, I just think when we're in that downward spiral, we're just so vulnerable to even the slightest bit of chaos and so the more structure we have the better so that's week two so the first two weeks it's just getting your house in order yeah and creating the space then in the third week we look at all those tactics in that ebook i sent you you know week four and five and then in week five we start to look at some of the longer term stuff um you know and of course 30 days isn't, isn't really enough to money come in right then though for some people it does because they you know do a sale or they actually do some of those things but it does start to interrupt the people do start to get out of the rut. And one of the things people see, of course, in this is for a lot of the businesses, like, oh, I don't have a niche. So no wonder everything's hard. You know, I'm trying to be everything to everybody. And so then when it even comes time to apply some of those tactics, it's very difficult. Right. Um, so, you know, for, and so for a lot of them, it's like, oh, I, I'm a, you know, Mark Silver talks about there are these four stages of business. Um, I think he got it from someone else, but this idea, you know, stage four is this optional one where your your business is like this fully huge oak tree, and it's you know you've got multiple employees, and you could go on vacation for six months, come back, and it would still be running. Um, and you know, stage three before that is the stage most people want to get to, and uh, where you have a few employees, cash flow is really solid, your niche is really clear, your offerings are really good, your business is a well-oiled you know, machine moving along. And it's like a pretty strong tree. couldn't have like hold eight hammocks, but you could hold like two or three hammocks on it. And then stage two is this kind of concentration phase where you're um, starting to, you're getting clearer about what your niche is. That's really coming into focus, but your cash flow is just up and down and up and down and up and down. And, uh, you know, because you go, you do all the marketing and it works, and you get clients, and then you go work with your clients. But as you're focused on that, you're not marketing, and you know. So, um, kind of stage two to stage three is where the cash flow starts to smooth out. But in stage two, you're just paying your assistant, if you have one, uh, you know, probably just part time, and yourself, and there's not a lot extra. And then stage one is this creation phase of um, 
you're just experimenting. You're trying a bunch of different stuff. You don't have a niche yet. You just you're still working with different clients, figuring out what you like, what you don't like. Um, and so the thing is, I've, a lot of people when they come into the meantime, they realize like, oh, I'm actually at stage one. But it's like stage one is like a sapling of a tree, and yeah. then people come with their hammock and try to saddle it, and they kill the tree because <laughs> it's not, it's you know, it hasn't even had that woody growth yet to to make it solid. And so the um, so you know people realize a lot of things. They're like, oh yeah, I'm like so early on in, in the in the business development, and you know if you realize you're in stage one, then it's like get a job. Yeah. Or yeah. You know, a um, or even a part-time job just to pay for bread and butter, totally. you know, just to pay for the basics. Or talk with your partner and be like, look, it's going to be about three years. Can you float us both? For that? Like, you've got to make some arrangements to take the pressure off because when people come to me in stage one or even stage two, kind of early stage two, um, being like, how do I make this work right away? It's like, well, this is a three-year process to right. get to stage three right. if you're hustling. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. So, for you, it's like these unrealistic expectations. And when people just decompress that a bit and take the space, um, you know, the problem wasn't that their business isn't making that money. The problem is that they were expecting it to. Yeah, yeah, in the first year or two or three, you know, or to have to have sustainable income that early on. So this larger perspective of the four developmental phases, which I haven't heard, and I watch uh-huh. Mark's stuff, um, I love, and I love the metaphor of a tree, um, I didn't even know those metaphors or phases. And the way I described phase one when I was in it, I was living in an apple orchard in California, and huh. it felt like someone was eating all the apples off my tree. It felt like there were uh, no apples left, you know. I felt right. so depleted because I was working so hard and wasn't, you know, it was the first year or right. two of my business and certainly did not hit a sustainable business model or cash flow yet. So it's like someone's eating all the damn tree, uh, damn apples off my tree, you know. And 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 in the moment, I was I realized I needed more support, and so I just made up. Mm. Um, that's what I needed, you know, to help me get over a hurdle. That was part of it. It was also creating a team, but I created a board of directors, and I was a sole proprietor. But I just asked older people in the community if they would come be on my board and meet with me once a month and they did and somehow that made me feel like my apples were still there and <laughs> I was able, it just it just gave me some nice support right to help me through well, that and if i if i can jump onto that is the yeah. um one of the the first exercises i have people do in the meantime is i have them write down first of all i have them get clear on their goals like what's your what are your top three you know one year goals and your top goal like one goal for the next 30 days and every week, of course, we check into it, and people start to realize their goal setting is, like, completely out of whack. You know, what they're expecting, like, what they think they can do in 30 days and what they actually do is really right. different. And so I just bring that back to them as, like, look, this is part of it. This is part of what gets us in the meantime is setting unrealistic goals. They're just too crazy. It's too it's too much too soon. And then we get disappointed, you know, because we were expecting to have all this money come in and, that's one thing, but I'll have them write down all these goals, and I'll say, okay, look, the reason you've probably had these goals for a while, haven't achieved them, and there's one of two ways to look at this. One is you could beat yourself up, you know, like, God, oh, why haven't I done this? I'm so stupid. I must be so lazy. There's something wrong with me. Everyone else is, you know, all that. So you can beat yourself up, number one. Or number two, you could see it as um, proof that you need more support. Yeah. You know, and um, 
that if you, there's a certain kind of support that if you had it, you'd be able to to deal with this. And so I have them make a list of like what are all the kinds of support they need around their goals. It's like, look, what's in the gap between you and the goal? What's what do you not know how to do? Because you know, for for some people, it's like uh, there's one woman in a mentorship program I run. And I said, you know, so I think it's really a time to do what I call a hubs database where you start to just make a spreadsheet of all the potential contacts, you know, that could help you grow your business. And she's, she kind of got really shy and said, I just, you know, actually I don't know how to use spreadsheets at all. And so she had actually known she needed to make some spreadsheets for other things in her business too for years. And because she didn't know how to do it, she just never tried. And so I said, well, <clears throat> and this is the thing I say in the meantime program, I said, once they've got this list of things, I'll say pick the top three things you need support with. Um, and then I'm like, for the next five minutes, all you're going to do is ask for support, meaning you'll post on Facebook, you can text people, you can call people, email people, but for the next five minutes, you can't stop asking for support. And if you're curious about the amount of support to be asking for, I can actually give you a very specific amount. Um, the exact quantity of support you should be asking for is a, an embarrassing amount of support. Yeah. yeah. Meaning if you're not yeah. embarrassed by it, it's probably not enough. And if you <laughs> want to go for a gold star, go for mortifying. Yeah. yeah. You know, because this solo entrepreneur trip is, you know, this whole culture of individualism and everything. But people just try to do everything their own, and then they feel like a failure because they don't know every damn thing. Yeah. And I've seen yeah. people literally in that five minutes get unstuck from things they were stuck on for years. They knew they needed a website, but they just didn't even know where to start, so they call a friend who they know has built their own website, like, hey, can you go for coffee and walk me through this? And they go for coffee, the person shows them like Wix.com or <coughs> Weebly or Yola or whatever, these free things, and all of a sudden they're like, oh my God, now they have a website. Yeah. You know, or yeah. now they have a spreadsheet, or now they've finally cleaned that room, because, you know, I'll be like, they're like, I'm meaning to clean this out, and it's just draining so much energy. Why haven't you done it? I don't know. What if you just called a friend and said, hey, come on over. <coughs> I'll give us beer and pizza, and we'll clean together. And the friend comes over, and it's done. So it's, you know, this um, willingness to ask for support and to instead of keep to beating ourselves up and saying, there's something wrong with me, and flagellating ourselves as if that's ever worked, just to instead turn our eye towards, like, okay, what – support do I need here that if I had it this would be handled yeah and then you just ask and not everyone says yes but of course people find that their friends are then delighted like yeah. I've been waiting for you to you know and like they're so yeah. happy to help um so yeah this asking for support yeah if you're in a crisis um you know especially because it can be easy then because you could even get this 130 page ebook with all these ideas and you could look at it and still then feel stuck and be like oh but there's one piece i don't know how to do so i won't do the whole thing right and right. it's just like put it on facebook say hey everybody uh i'm really in a cash flow crunch i need to figure out how to do this one thing does anyone know it, you know honestly it's probably going to be handled in half an hour yeah yeah so it's such a big thing for us to ask it real like it, it's just amazing how challenging it is or how we don't even realize we can ask or how embarrassing it feels and on and on and on. And that moment when I realized I felt, I mean, it was a feeling, you know, that someone was eating all of my apples. That's not true. That was just my experience at the time. And I reached yeah. out and it wasn't, it was, it was beyond anything I'd ever done before. I'm going to ask older people in the community that are older than me to be on my mm. board of directors once a month. And some said, 
most said yes, actually. I think nine out of ten or whatever it was, you know, said yes. Right. And then we met for many, many months, and it, and that was the key that unlocked me realizing that I needed to add more bookkeeping trainers or financial coaches to my umbrella, and that's what moved me into sustainable income for the next four years, you know, that what? that yeah. embarrassingly totally beyond what I thought I could do, asking for support um, is what led me to that period. Yeah. And l- let me also throw another yeah. twist on this too is that because I get it can feel selfish. It's like, well, here I am asking, and it's all about me, and I'm getting support. Um, but let me just frame it in another way too is that, um, you know, how do you build community? Yeah. There's probably thousands of ways. But I'll tell you how you kill community you be self sufficient. Yeah. Nobody needs anything from anybody is a recipe for no community. If you don't ever need to borrow that cup of sugar from your neighbor, if you don't ever need to borrow a needle, if you have all the skills yourself and you don't need anybody, you won't ask anybody. Like community means that we need each other. And so your willingness to step forward and say, I need help, gives the village an occasion to appear and show up because it will not on its own. The village is not just... uh, inherently there you know there's a there's a an author who was a guatemalan shaman and he uh a medicine man a chief in his community and you know a lot of people in boulder probably know who i'm talking about but he in his village they had these uh, flimsy houses and they they were uh, built to last about a year and this was the whole art you wanted to build them so they actually would fall apart in about a year but not before a year but not too much longer after and, and um because the whole thing was when you build houses in that way, then everyone had to come back together to rebuild it. So it was a village-making endeavor. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, when the West comes in and colonizes, they put these concrete houses. Yep. And it's great. Everyone's so much more self-sufficient now, and nobody comes together. Nobody helps. You know, there's another, uh, I think it was a Mayan community, where they there was this valley that connected these two villages, and every year they'd rebuild the bridge. It was made out of this rope. Um, but out of grass, you know, and so they would take, it was like a two-week process if you harvest the grass and then you weave it together into to cords and then weave those cords into bigger ropes. You weave those ropes into bigger, you know, and the, every year it would take two weeks and they'd rebuild it, but it was this everyone coming together, you know, so you can look at, you know, indigenous community after indigenous community, and what you'll find is um, most of what they did was village-making, required everybody if you didn't show up it had real consequences um you know so this whole self-sufficiency is the annihilation of community so if you're you know concerned like oh this is real self-involved um that's just another perspective on it i love it i love it so i want to back up again and really highlight a few things because you surprised me It was delighting. I, I felt delighted. Like I didn't know you would start in this way or we haven't even gotten to these ideas yet, right? Because right. something comes to you and this is a normal part of life, right? We hit a moment. We we feel like we're in crisis. It feels like crisis. It even yeah. feels life or death. It even feels yeah. like our survival. How are we going to pay for food or our rent or the bills or, any, you know, and we're in this moment, which happens, right? There are ebbs and flows. We have these moments. Are they long-term patterns? Is it just a developmental phase in your business? What is it? 
But you begin by a few things. You begin by giving, slowing people down or giving people a much larger perspective on time and how long it takes to, you know, grow your endeavor and lay the foundation for your endeavor, that it takes three years, three solid years to hit sustainable income where you're not going to have cash flow dips, right? And that's still hard. At three years, you you know, you that's a whole other part of this conversation. How do you hit sustainable business models, right? How do you create them? But then you you give a larger perspective. You slow people down. Um, you know, I call it like let's do a body check-in. Let's calm you down in the moment. And then you help people get present in the way that you have them go to their clutter, which we all have, or clear out their desk, recycle, go into – you know, underneath the bathroom, you know, and underneath the sink and the cabinets, clean them out, go to your closet. You have people do that, which is just such a slowing down, um, releasing energy, opening up energy, getting you present experience. And then you have people go in their calendars and also start looking at time, energy, other resources. And how are they playing out? Like, are you giving too much? Are you volunteering in a way? And you need to pull back on that. Or So you do all of this before you start, like, taking those practical steps and those ideas to actually bring in more income, literally bring in more income. Yeah? Anything else more to say about this phase and how important it is or what's going on here? Um. I think that's all that comes to mind right now. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Because, you know, my people come come in and they're like, I'm having emotions. <laughs> you know, I'm freaking out. Right. Um, yeah. Give me tools to work with this, you know. Give me tools to calm myself down, and I'll say, okay, we're going to do body check-ins. We're going to take ourselves to nature. We're going to take one baby step at a time here. All these things, Right. But you you kind of go a different route. I mean, you don't go into the emotions. You go into, so tell me, why is this phase actually a good thing right now? Like, why well, are you here? You know, yeah, the, yeah, the the only yeah, I've been really into the work of Byron Katie, which some people are, God, in Boulder, almost <laughs> certainly familiar with, but yeah. Um, so yeah, um, kind of a self inquiry, inquiry, mindfulness practice, and one of the things that I really got from it that lands for me is the reason that people are upset and they're stressed. Uh, it's actually not about what's happening; it's about the meaning that's become attached to what's happening. Yeah. Thank you. Mm-hmm. You know, so if you're cash flow crunch and people are saying, and and there's this sort of. Um, feeling of this means it's the end of my business. This means I'm a failure. Like in my mentorship program, there was a woman who, she's starting this amazing new project for artists, and she said, um, just when people reject me, it feels like I'm a failure. You know, it's like it's it's a personal. Like it's not just my project. They're rejecting me personally. And then I feel like I'm a failure. So if, you know, somebody rejects (coughs) her project, doesn't like it, or she even imagines they're rejecting it, she feels like personally a failure. And, but you know, so we, we just did the work on it. I was like, so is that true? That them rejecting you means you're a failure? Well, no, not necessarily. But it's like, yeah, what happens? How do you react when you think this thought? 
oh man, it's just the end. It's so stressful. Oh God, I'm so depressed. Um, and who would you be without that thought? I'd feel really free. And so then, what else could be true? It, you know, and it might be true that them rejecting you is a sign that you're succeeding, because it means you actually put something out. You know, it could mean that you're you're trying to get really clear about who your people are and who they aren't, and that's you know. There were all these things, and once she could see there was some other possible meaning for what was going on, um, the stress wasn't there anymore. It wasn't the same kind of thing. So it's not really the circumstances, because it's easy to want to, this is the thing, people just want to change the circumstance immediately. Like, yeah. how do I make more money? Oh, my God, it's yeah. so terrible. But it's like, why, the, my curiosity is like, why are you so desperate about it? Like, aside from real financial, you know, demands, like, why is it so emotionally fraught? Yeah. Um, and if, cause if you can't create space around that, then it's like people are like, help me fix it. And it's like, well, what's the it that you're so certain about needs fixing? You know, and are you so certain that if you fix it in the way you're imagining, that now you're going to feel okay? You know, if you just get that amount of money, now you're going to feel happy, now you're going to feel okay? Yeah. You know, because there's still going to be more crises in the future. There's still going to be you know, more challenges. That's life. So when people you can... Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, Byron Katie is probably the opposite of somatic psychology, you know, which is funny. But, but where we come together is that there's a story that's being told. And yeah. is that the story you want to keep telling? Or is there a new story? You know, um, I'm going to be a bag lady on the street, or I suck, or, oh, you know, sure. I'm a failure, on and on. So what is the new story? You know, what's real? And what is, yeah, how are we making meaning, and what is the story here, and what's the new story you want to be creating? Yeah. yeah. I love it. Okay. Very good. So that's where you're in the beginning, and then you start moving into all these possible ideas. Yeah. Yeah? So so we talk about some of your favorites. I had my list of nine. Would you remember anything in there that are some of um, your favorites to let, talk about? Uh, let's go over them again. Okay. Repurposing existing content, emailing your list, promoting the most popular well, that, Maybe we'll, okay. we can just pause and say a few words okay. about each. One thing Great. I would say is, like, you know, when I do the meantime program, I ask people to pick one of these, or sometimes you, you end up kind of combining a couple, um, but just pick one. Like, don't go, it's so easy to just overwhelm ourselves in a totally different way and be like, I'm going to do this and this and this and this. Just pick one, work it, you know, and um, that's better. But yeah, so repurposing content, you know, it's just interesting because, like, you might have an ebook that you could turn into an audiobook. And, you know, because I'm sure there's, People right. listening like me who I'd rather listen to it than read it because I can listen to it while I'm going for a walk or doing the dishes or, you know, or vice versa. You might have it on audio, but you know, a recording of a talk you did and you've never thought about transcribing it and tidying it up and turning it into an ebook. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's just a simple example. Or, or it's like, yeah, you've got this live workshop, but you never thought of recording it and making it available to people who couldn't make it there same content, but you just offer it in different ways, different types of packages um, can be huge. So it's what I love about this idea, you don't have to do anything new. Yeah. There's no like, oh, God, I've got to come up with a whole new workshop <laughs> because this is where a lot of businesses kill themselves is um, every week or quarter they try to do a brand-new workshop. But, of course, a new workshop means after a new sales letter. They have to design the format of it. They've got to market it. They've got to get the venue. They've got 
and a lot of times it's like everything's new every time, which will wipe you out completely. The whole thing in a business is you get, you find a couple things that work, and you work them, you know, because now you've got the systems, you've got this one workshop you do, and it works really well. So you just keep refining the workshop content, you keep refining the marketing. You don't have to re, like create a whole new sales letter. You just keep tinkering with that sales letter, etc. You know, and so once you've got something that works. Um, why not just, okay, now let's offer it in a different format. Um, why not turn it in, you know, and if you've already got an ebook, could you turn that into a home study program? Like my friends um, Brad and Andy, they've got this great website, uh, uh, coursesworthsharing.com, and they help people build home study courses. And they uh, <coughs> they were telling me once for about a woman who was actually a friend of mine in Edmonton, she had an ebook that she sold for, I don't know, like $7 or something. But she just took the exact same content, repurposed it into a home study program. So it was just more structured, you know, exercise every day and all this, and was able to sell it for like uh, $200 or something, you know, and totally changed her financial world. But it was all the exact same content. Like I've had blog posts that were like 20 pages long. And people are like, Ted, this is an ebook. I was like, I know, but then I have to edit it and redo it uh, one day, one day, one day. And I knew one day I would do it, but I was just like, I'm writing other things. I don't have time. And um, then I have been taking those down and turning them into ebooks. Yeah, very good. You know, and how many, how many books can we name that were this, that were a blog that got turned into a book? Yeah. So it's the exact same content, but now turned into a book. Because a lot of people, you know, I've been writing these posts on Facebook called Dear White Men, where I'm writing kind of words to white men primarily on the issue of how do we even approach the conversation around uh, racism. And, um, you know, so I've been collecting them in a Google Doc right now, and you know, with page divisions for each post. It's like 280 pages. Mm. And at some point I may release it, but... Um, there are a lot of people who are like, I would love to have a, a hard copy of this. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, and yeah. it's the same. So I just love this one because if you've already got content, you already got something figured out, you may be able to make, like, you could possibly double your money on this without inventing anything new. I love that one too. I love it too because so, we're, we're so prolific in our content and but we need to reuse a lot of it and use it in different ways. And as you're saying, take something written, put it audio, take some, on and on and on. I love this one. Very, yeah. So the second one is emailing your list, promoting the most popular product or service you've got. Yeah, you know, I love this one because it's, um, it's easy to assume that everyone on your list knows about this product. But the truth is, some people joined uh, since you promoted it last. Yeah. They've literally never heard about it. And some people heard about it, but they didn't buy it because it wasn't the right time, but it might be the right time now. So, it, you know, there's these things that we have, and it's like it's a – people love it. It sells really well when we promote it. But when we actually look through our emails, it's like, I haven't mentioned this even in two years. So why not just email your list and say, hey, it's been a while, you know, and I've got this – book and uh, ebook or you know course that I do and it's here it is yeah and you could offer a deal or not but you could just let them know it exists and you might be surprised at a few hundred dollars just boom appear immediately you know depending on, on what it is you're selling 
So this is the only one that I've ever used. I was talking to my husband earlier, and I, I said, Tad has 35 ideas, and he said, you have one. <laughs> and I said, yeah, well, you know, and then he said, it's worked. And my one idea has been um, the instant moneymaker, terrible name, but just accurate name that I got from Marie Forleo from hmm. taking B-School. I took B-School six years ago when it was about 800 okay. people in a community. And so a hundred of us got really intimate together, and I'm still really good friends with a lot of these women. So that's when it was really small. And in her um, video launch material, she shared the Instant Moneymaker, and it was just um, send out an email to your list. You could have 50 people on your list. You can have a few thousand, whatever it is. And, you know, offer them your private services, like, you know, five slots or three slots or four slots. Yeah. And I remember doing this um, six years ago, and I think I opened up four slots, and it took me a few weeks, you know, um, maybe uh -huh. even six weeks to sell them out, you know. And But I did. And and then uh -huh. over the years, every other year, maybe every two years, I, I do that. I was saying earlier when I wanted to bring on a new VA three years ago, or last year when I wanted to go on my book tour and make sure I had cash for the whole thing, I opened up, I, I think I opened up, six private slots and sold ten in four hours or something. But that was right. after doing this for many, many, many years. You know, the first time, as I was saying, sure. I tried to sell four slots at a much lower price point, and it took me six weeks, and yet this one little thing has been, you know, that 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 instant moneymaker sending out the one email or two emails really helped during that little cash flow crunch or to bring in more right. money during that time. Yeah. 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 So the third one is could be for creative entrepreneurs and it could be for people who have jobs and need extra cash or in between. And this is a hustle for money. Sell, collect, rent, borrow, refinance things. Hmm. Say more about this. Mm -hmm. So it's um oh, yeah, so there's a number of things there. So one is you just may have stuff in your house you could sell. Yeah. Some people have a car they could sell. It's like, I don't really need the car. And it's just tight, and they need the money. You could do that. Um, you've got people have a bunch of books they could sell, you know, or they got a clothes they could host a just evening to sell some of their favorite clothes. You know, all sorts of things people could do. If you look at what you have, you could put it on eBay. You could uh, – people have, like, an old phone that they're not using, and like, oh, I could actually try to sell this, and they might just be able to, or – Etc. You know, if you just really are desperate for money, there's awesome stuff you can sell. Yeah, and refinancing, you could refinance your mortgage, you know, and incidentally have a, a hit of cash. And of course, there's other consequences of that, but um, it's an option. And the um, yeah, borrowing. Sometimes you can just like borrow money from friends or family, you know, and just say, hey, I just need some money for to kind of a bridge loan, and I can pay you back. And I've done this. Um, with friends and family, and number, you know, and I've been always very clear that I'd be able to pay back, and did, but it worked really well. And it's just, but so this is one of these things where you've got friends and family who would be so happy to support you financially, to get you through a tough spot, or like, you know, if you're like, look, I just need the money to buy this thing, so I, you know, and of course, um, there's a lot on the line in that, because if you don't, this is, it can really screw up a close relationship. But if you feel confident that you're going to be able to pay it back, then, you know, that's an option, and people often don't think about it. Um, what were the other ones? Well, there's one rent, which I'm seeing a lot of folks do and people oh, in yeah. the community, too, is they, 
put a room in their house on Airbnb oh. or they rent out the room and that's working. It's it's bringing in extra totally. cash flow that they didn't have. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, how many people have like turned their garage or basement into a suite and just rent it out and all of a sudden you know, the rent's paid. And of course, there's a lot of bigger conversations to have about right. um, you know, property markets and, and what's happening and all that, but um, it's just good to know that these things are on the table. Yeah, and you've got a spare room, and, and yeah, you could Airbnb it. You know, I've thought about it at times myself because I do have a spare room. At this point, it feels like more of a hassle, but i got to tell you, it feels really good to know it's like, okay, in a pinch, if I had to, I could open it up okay. um, and just have this extra income coming in. Uh, it feels really good. Yeah. Yeah. So let's just do a few more. This one I did want to touch on crowdfunding because uh-huh. it's it's controversial. It's it you know people have emotions around it. You know they think it's a wonderful thing used in a wonderful way, and sometimes people have judgment how it's used, and yet it's a good option in certain situations. So so please share your experience or wisdom on how you've seen this used well. Well, I mean, so often this is used in some nonprofit scenario, you know, where you need to raise money for a particular project. You're making a documentary movie. You're making your album, you know, of music. You're, um, you know, there's some project that you're you're trying to build or some initiative in the community that's going to benefit the community. There's that. But, you know, I've also seen people do crowdfunding where they're, you know, a friend of mine was like, I want to go to this. It was a peace college in South America. And she just put it out there. It's like, I really want to do this. I feel like this is my work in the world. I can't afford it. I don't have access to the money. Could you contribute? Yeah. You know, um, so it's, I think it's good. To, yeah, we, because this is the thing. When I say like the five minutes asking for support, this I'm not encouraging people to just turn into people who just ask and take and receive and never give back and just you know, become freeloaders. You know, that's not the the goal. The goal is just that there are times when we're in the meantime where we yeah. do need to ask for help. Yeah. Um, and and um, community can be created. So crowdfunding can be an amazing way to bring people together. So, yeah, of course, we'd be judicious about it. You yeah. know, is this the moment? And, of course, you're going to feel uncomfortable about doing it because asking for help, you know, I mean, for everyone who feels uncomfortable about this, I would go watch Amanda Palmer's, you know, yeah. TED Talk. The art of asking, um, but uh, yeah, you'll feel uncomfortable about it. But you feeling uncomfortable and uneasy about it is not a reason not to do it, right? Right. Necessarily. Okay. I mean, um, but yeah, it can be a very beautiful thing. So maybe there's like a training that's like I really want to go, you know. And then, but the crowdfunding. I mean, people get to choose still if they want to give them money. It's not like you right. put it out and then they have to give you money and resent you forever. Um, they'll m- listen to the case that you make. So yeah. if you say, look, there's this modality I want to learn, and nobody in this town's doing it, and I really want to bring it here, and here's my kind of business case for it, or I, I need a new computer, and if I had that, here's the difference it would make in my business, et cetera. You know, um, like I had a friend of mine who was um, in a really emotionally abusive relationship, and I just kept being like, God, get out of this thing. You know, it wasn't physical, but he was a huge narcissist, and but she had kids with them, and and I was like, if you had the money, kind of, would you leave? Yes. And um, I wished I'd had the money to give her, and I didn't. But she ended up leaving, and uh, 
the moving company quoted her like a thousand dollars, eleven hundred for the move. But by the time she got there with everything totaled, they were asking for four thousand, and she wow. didn't have the money. But now she's moving into her place, and yet can't pay for the moving company to bring her stuff. So she's got an empty, you know, it's just ridiculous. And, and um, so I was like, I was like, hey, let me do a crowdfunding thing for you. We'll raise you the money, $4,000, and I emailed my list a few times about it, and most of the money came from people on my list, and we got her four grand, yeah. you know, and it was just yeah. the, the most beautiful thing, and she just had to, like, kind of open up to receiving it. So just to know, yeah, sometimes things not in your control. Just and we're all different, right, right, life, ha- life happens. We, ca- we cannot plan everything. We just can't, and we're going to find ourselves in the meantime, and... If we don't have family money or savings or a zero percent credit card, we're we're in the meantime and we need we need help. Um, so another yeah. story, uh, the first crowdfunding I ever created um, was two years ago. My son's teacher had a stroke at 41. Um, yeah, had a stroke, and she needed to take time off from work, and I wanted her to have money. To have resources during that time, so I saw I, I created a crowdfunding from her and lots of the families, you know, that knew her donated money, and she, had, you know, she had enough cash flow for about three months easily, you know, to just breathe more easily. And again, we're, we're some of us are drawn to giving to something like that. Some of us are not. We're all going to say yes or no. Giving is so different for all of us. So I love how you're just reminding us again, like. It, it is about how you ask, and you need to be yeah. judicious about this. And but in a long life, we're gonna ha- we're gonna have these moments, and this is where we we need to tap into community or connect or or someone sets it up for us, right? Which is so lovely. And okay. I, yeah, I'd say too that the um, it depends on which country you're in. You know, like if you're in Canada, there are a lot of countries in Europe where healthcare is free. It wouldn't be as much of an issue. Right. But in exactly. the states, it's free. Yeah. So just to give yourself some slack, like, right. you know, it's, it's funny because as much as in the States there's a lot of the six-figure this, six-figure this, seven-figure that, in the, you know, this, even in the kind of conscious business scene, and I know that a lot of my friends roll their eyes at it, but I just have to remind them it's like, and some of them are Americans, but I have to remind them it's like, you live in a country where you drive like you have health care, but you don't. Right. <laughs> like, we, very you know, true. it's this very is your most of you are one in illness away from bankruptcy. So yeah, in the states when people are like six or seven figure, mm-hmm. I, I get it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you need that's that. That's a really just different a, perspective. Yeah. So you know, and in Canada, I feel like we're in a very different boat. So maybe it's why we don't hustle as hard is because the social network here, you know, uh, support network is stronger in countries of Europe. Why they look at Americans so strange because there isn't that safety net. Wow. In, uh, in the states that there is around the world, so so yeah, six figures and yeah, let's. I mean, all power to you on changing the political climate and healthcare for all and all that. I just think you would see less desperation if if uh, there was more of a safety net present. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Okay, um, three more. Let's see if we can get these yeah. in here. So, your wish list, ask, barter. And trade. So talk about how you do this. I don't know if I actually do this one personally a ton, but it's good to know that it's there. Like, I remember I was at a Jay Abraham marketing workshop, year 2000, and there was a guy there who talked about barter. 
and it was one of the most compelling talks I've ever seen. You know, most of us have heard the story about the red paper clip. Somebody has a red paper clip, they trade it for a pen, they trade that pen for a better pen. They keep just trading up, and I think eventually within 30 moves they got to a house. Um, I haven't you know, heard that story. That, I'm, I'm going to oh, really, go look yeah, for that story. Yeah, Google the red, red paper clip story. Okay. I mean, so part of, of course, why that worked is because I think he was doing it with some media attention, and so yeah. I think people were excited to. But just to know with barter that you can um, trade your goods and services, this is a legit. There's a whole uh, underground, unspoken for economy, and if you just do some, yeah, googling around barter uh, and barter networks. You'd be amazed what you can do that you don't ever have to pay money for. You just yeah. kind of swap goods and services. And if you have more time than you have money, this can be one of the greatest things in the world. Okay. You know, you might know a farmer who could provide you some meat and eggs and dairy and, you know, a CSA or something and be like, look, can I get your CSA delivered uh, every week and I will trade you. And let's say you're a massage therapist, but they're like, hey, we actually don't come into town, so getting massages doesn't work for us. But – our mom lives in town, and could you give her massage? So you can triangulate it in that way. So now you're getting this box of thing, and their mom's getting massage. You know, you're being fed, and 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 it it feels really good. Um, you know, I've done this actually yeah, with some marketing workshops where you know I was going to be in town for a while, or usually in Edmonton. And I usually don't do barter because I don't know the quality of people's work. But every once in a while, um, I would know somebody say, "Yeah, I would totally trade you like ten massages for the weekend workshop." Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that, that feels really great. Yeah. Um, so as long as it feels good on both sides, yeah, you can barter, you can trade. And uh, what was the other one? Ask, which we've already talked oh. about. More, yeah, ask. So barter mm-hmm. and trade. And I and I was forgetting about all these barter networks that a lot of them probably still yeah. exist, where you could do three and four way yes. and five way trades. You know. Um, and there's you know there's local uh, community currency, the Let's. Um, yeah. Commu- there's. A lot of you know, like the Ithaca Hours, you know, where you can uh, functionally has a kind of barter network vibe to it. And the other thing too is this, this wish list, where you might just sit down, and this can work for a nonprofit, but can also work for a for-profit. You know, especially if you're doing something that's really good for the world, or you just want to reach out to your friends and be like, look, um, rather than ask you for money, there's actually some things I need. One is I need a car. Number two is I need a laptop. That's you know probably made in the year 2014 or you know more recently. Um, I need a phone. I need um, et cetera, et cetera. You can just be like, here are some things I need. Does anyone in my network have anything that could help? So you could ask for that because the reason you may be asking for the money is to get the thing, but you might just be able to get the thing without the money. Right. You know, instead of doing a crowdfunding thing, you might just put out the wish list of like, and just be honest with yourself. It's like these are all the things that if I had them would get me unstuck because this is one of these places like you know talking about asking for support people are like well i would do that but i don't have a laptop and and the laptop becomes the excuse for every damn thing that's like ask for the fucking laptop then mm. get it yeah. so that you can stop using it as the excuse right. and you can move forward because um, i promise you there's somebody in your network or somebody they know who has a laptop they're not using right now yeah if yeah. You're like one or two or three at the very most steps away from this. And if you just start putting it out on Facebook and tagging people, um, you might be surprised how quickly a laptop appears. You know, one of my friends was visiting, and she needed a laptop just while she was visiting here. I put it out, and my mom had one. 
You know, it was Your just mom had close. one. She had an, she had an extra you know, one. So she brought one the next day, and here it is. My friend had a laptop she could use while she was staying. So, um, yeah, yeah. You know, it's, it's just to ask, and and sometimes honestly, you just sit down and you make the list of everything that you really need, and you're really honest about it. And then you could just meditate on that list and ask yourself, who do I know who might have these things? And be dumbfounded as you get a name next to each of them. Yeah, yeah, I love it. Love oh, it. this person, I think they might, yeah. Or your friend the runs a computer shop, and they, you know, et cetera. Yeah. The first three years of my business, I did a lot of trade. Um, when I wanted a graphic design, um, uh-huh. It had Gandhi in it and some old Indian money and some coins. And I, I, loved, I loved what she came up with, and we did a trade. Um, she took yeah. – oh, I think I trained her on QuickBooks. This was, you know, 16 uh-huh. years ago. Um, but I made my list. I made my little wish list of what I needed and wanted and didn't feel I had cash flow for and did a lot, a lot, a lot of trade in the first three years. Yeah. And then stopped for an entire decade and then started again a, th- a few years ago, but only traded now for things that feel like extra things, like art or jewelry or potions, lotions, things like that, and things that I really, really love. And we work out a whole agreement, you know. And so I've, I've brought it back in again. And Bernard Lyotard, the economist, the Belgian oh, economist, sure. have you heard of him? Yeah, he. have you heard him call it, refer to it as yin currency? So we have the like existing... That. Yeah, we have the existing yang currency, the existing money system, and then yin currency is all the ways we trade and barter or use our time and energy. Yeah, so um, very good. So two more. So get a part-time job. Uh, pretty obvious. You know, this, speak a little more to it. Well, people, the thing I, I just want to say about this one is I don't know what it is or where it came from uh, in this kind of, especially this modern entrepreneurial, a conscious entrepreneurial scene where having a job is seen as a failure. It's seen as uh, inferior to, it's seen as um, not quite as evolved as being an entrepreneur. And and it's joked about a lot. You know, multi-level marketing is just right for this. It was like, you trading your time for dollars? You know, this, you got a job that stands for just over broke, you know, and this constant belittling of people have jobs. It's like, yeah, screw those firemen saving everyone's lives and those doctors with their life-saving operations and policemen and teachers. What a bunch of chumps, you know, like it's so insane. This bias against people who have jobs, the people who serve you your coffee, you know, and, and, but we, there's a, there is a, a disdain that I think needs to be looked at. Um, so when we have that disdain for those people with jobs and we're going to be free and have our business, the thought of going back, then it feels like a failure. It feels like we're stepping back. Um, you know, it's just, it's so nuts. Having a part-time job can, um, or a full-time job for what, you know, can like take so much pressure out of the situation and allow you to build a really solid foundation so that when you do step into a business, you've actually got it, you know, it's like, man, if somebody comes to me, it's like, hey, I'm working a job, and in three years I'd like to have a business going, I just wanted like, fall down on my knees and be like, oh, wise, wise person, where have you been? You know, because give me that time. And we can, like, figure out the niche. We could talk about their point of view. We could figure out the hubs. We could talk about uh, their packages and basic marketing strategy. And they could have that all lined up just slowly and surely. <clears throat> and so when they're ready to leave, they'd be, like, hitting the ground walking, you know. And yeah. they could be starting the business in mm-hmm. stages, like, 
remember one of my friends, uh, a couple of my friends, they took me out for lunch one time, and this is one of the ways I'll trade for marketing sometimes. They took me out for lunch, and they said, okay, so they wanted to start a store like that for moms, you know, but kind of conscious stuff, like all organic and uh, ethical and green stuff for, for new moms, and, uh, you know, kind of holistic, all that. And so they wanted to start a, a shop, and I looked at one of them who was pregnant, and the other one who had kids, and I was just like, are you fucking nuts? Yeah. You want to start a retail shop? <laughs> like, do you know what that overhead does to people? <clears throat> like, it's so, um, it just seemed so crazy to go from zero, from nothing, to having a retail store. And I just, I, I said, I'm, I'm begging you not to do this. Please don't do this. It's so much. You've never done it before. Instead, why not consider just starting to host some workshops for new moms? Why not consider starting to build your list Host a little day-long uh, trade show, you know, where you bring all these people together, and you can make some money on that and start to build a following. Start on social media now and just post regularly about, you know. And eventually, what they decided to do is they started a business called BoodyBaby.com, so B-U-D-D-H-I Baby.com or mm. .ca. But they um, make gift boxes for so you can, if your friend's having a baby, you don't know what to get. You can get one of these beautifully designed boxes full of organic, ethical, holistic kind of gifts, um, you know, teething rings and coconut oil and baby wraps and all this. Um, so they decided to do that online, which was a much more sane way to go about it. So, yeah, I just see that people, it's that, you know, what stage of business are <coughs> you in? And they walk in in stage one and want to be working. And, and so sometimes they're in stage, they're not even in stage one, you know, and they quit their job. And I'm like, go back to the job. I know it's going to hurt, but it's not failure. It's just you just had crazy expectations, and maybe somebody sold you on that idea that it would be easy, but it's just going to take time. Yeah, so I just, you know, it's happened in the meantime. A few people went back to part-time job, and they immediately expressed the relief they felt. Mm -hmm. so, yeah. Very good, very good. We can pause there. Let's pause there, and um, sure. is there – Anything else about this phase in the meantime that happened yeah, you in, know, a long, in a long life that you want to share? Yeah. Well, I would just say that it's, yeah, this is a, a time where a lot of, you need hustle. You know, um, this is a time where you don't, it's not that you need resources, you just need resourcefulness. Hmm. Uh, this is a time where it's, because it's, it's easy to look through, like, I'll pick this tactic and do it. But the reality is, um, to make it work, you just have to keep paying attention to how it's going. And sometimes you'll see it's going really well, and you can actually step back. Like, your event is filling up, and you don't need to promote it as hard because you realize, oh, it's going to sell out pretty soon. And sometimes you do the plan you thought was going to work, and it's not. And then you just have to be ready to hustle and ask yourself, okay, what else could I do? Who else could I reach out to? How else could I promote this? Um, so, you know, there's just got to be willingness to hustle. But you can't hustle if you're scattered. You can't hustle if you're overwhelmed. You can't hustle if you're burned out. Right. You know, right. it's really hard. So that's why we start with creating space. Do that um, so that you have the, the bandwidth to hustle. Mm, yeah. Very good. Or take a half a day in nature, you know, to, totally. yeah, to calm yourself down, to connect. And then go back into hustling, you know. Okay, very good. 
So, Chad, what else as far as, like, what's, what, what is the most exciting thing for you right now in your work? I know this is one of yeah. many e-books, many courses. Yeah. So please share a little bit more of just where you are online, how folks can find you, and, and what's something you're really, really, really excited about now. Thanks. Yeah, I mean, the, the main place people can find me online is uh, marketingforhippies.com, and there's a bunch of free stuff people can check out there. I've also got another website, nichingspiral.com. So if you're in a business and you're struggling with your niche and trying to figure it out, there's a ton of free stuff on that website as well. And I've got an ebook called The Niching Nest that really delves into this. But the thing I'm most stoked about these days, uh, so I wrote a book called Point of View Marketing, which you can find on the Marketing for Hippies site. But um, this has just been like, I don't know why this doesn't get talked about more, but I've seen it have just give so many breakthroughs to clients of mine. The idea is this: you know, you're, if you're an entrepreneur, your ideal client. But you can also, if you have a nonprofit, same, same. Um, you know, your ideal clients are on Island A. They've got some problems, some symptoms they don't like. They want to be on Island B, where there's some results that they're craving. Your business is like a boat that could take them from one island to the other. Is the, the basic analogy. Um, and so, you know, in business, there are these three things that you've got to establish in order, relevance, credibility, and value. And it's got to be in that order. So relevance is just like, is this for me? And relevance gets handled if, if you can name what the island A and island B is. Like, oh, are you struggling with this problem? Do you want this result? You know, anyone who's struggling with that problem or wants that result is going to see what you're doing as relevant. That doesn't mean they're going to buy. It just means they're like, yeah, that is a fit for me uh, on that level. Then there's credibility. It's just like, do I trust you? to be able to get me from island A to island B. And then the value is just like, okay, I pay you this money. Is it worth it? Is the return on investment good, basically? And, but, but, you know, it's interesting because this credibility piece, one of the major, I mean, of course, there's testimonials, and, of course, there's just do they like you and your vibe, and there's, there's a lot of that. But one of the major sources of credibility is point of view, is your perspective. What's your take on it? So, you know, in, in that boat metaphor, um, sure, there's like 20 people who are all going from island A to island B, so how do they choose? And all the boats are basically the same, so one of the ways they're going to tell is, you know, you bust out your map as a captain, and they look at, A, the quality of your map, how recent is it, they look at the route that you suggest, and they start to compare, you know, so for example, you've got some health condition, and you go to a bunch of talks where people are talking about, nutritionists talking about their take on that condition, or holistic practitioners. And you start to listen to it, and you're listening for kind of, does that make sense to me as an approach? Does that point of view kind of land for me? Does it seem credible? And most entrepreneurs have really not put their time into fully articulating what their point of view is. But this is so rich. When somebody comes up with a very clear, compelling, lucid, uh, and you know, especially if it's a unique point of view, so much gets handled in marketing because you know a lot. Of, uh, there's a lot of people people who do the you know free intro workshop, which leads into a weekend or coaching program or something. And I think we've fundamentally misunderstood the purpose of that intro workshop. The purpose of the intro workshop, I, I think, gets traditionally looked at as this is where you sell people. Mm. You know, people come and then you sell them on your stuff. I don't think that's the purpose of it. I think the purpose of the intro. It's not to sell your programs. It's to share your point of view. 
love it. Fundamentally, yeah. you know what I'm saying? Because yeah. like what, what yeah. happens in most sales letters and most intro workshops is you've got the like the relevance piece and the value piece and the credibility piece, meaning like the point of, the point of view is missing, which sounds like are you suffering from this problem? Do you want this result? Is your life hellish? Oh, God, wouldn't it be better, you know, sticking the knife and twisting? Imagine, if you will, being on a tropical island, you know, da-da-da-da-da. And then if you want that, here's the pitch. And most intro workshops have a lot of that flavor, too. It's like, you know, I uh, I was a lot like a lot of you, and I was overweight, and I was, you know, broke and uh, single, and now I've got all these good things, and if you want that, sign up for my... And there's a little bit of education, but not a ton. Whereas my take would be you don't spend half an hour building the relevance. The title of the workshop should have the relevance, and you start off with like a little bit just to, you know, I don't know, they understand that you get it. But you don't have to belabor that point, and you don't have to belabor the offer either. Whereas, you know, I find most presentations it's like 30% relevance, 30% maybe point of view, and the 30% pitch. On the on the offer, and I'm like, how about ten percent, eighty percent, ten percent? Where eighty yeah. percent yeah. of it is like, look, you're on island A, you want to get island B. Let me make my best case for this particular approach to your issue. Here's what I would gener- generally suggest. Here's why. This is the logic behind it. This is here are some case studies of this and how it's worked. Because then. If they resonate with your point of view, they're leaning in. And if they don't, they're leaning out. Like if I go up and I'm saying, you know, well, if you've got this health condition, what I recommend is a raw vegan diet. And you're sitting there and you're like real committed to the paleo diet and you think raw vegan is a joke, you're just leaning back the whole time or vice versa. Right. Um, but so if they're already leaning in, when you make the offer, it, it, there's not a lot of effort in it. You're just kind of like, so if that resonates with you, uh, here's the deal. Uh, yeah. It's this much and here's the package. You can sign up in these ways. Um, and if they're leaning in, they're much more likely to say yes, and if they're leaning out, they won't, period. So it's like the, the whole point of it is about a kind of filtering that you're trying to do. You're trying to be like, this is how I see it. If you don't resonate with it, you should not sign up. Right, right. And if you do, then you might want to think about it. Um, so I'm just, I've been so interested in point of view and how do we weave this into our marketing more uh, more explicitly, more implicitly, so that it's um, it's like you know the, the 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 screen on a window. It lets the fresh air in, but keeps the bugs out. So people who are not a fit never show up as clients. Yeah. And yeah. and the you know the the ones who are do. I love it. I love it. Tad, thank you so much. It's a You're huge welcome. honor. I appreciate your work so much, and I appreciate you as a man and as a human being so much. So. Thank you so much for sharing everything you did, and thanks for joining me today. What a pleasure to be here and to be here with you, who, I mean, I know I've been in this business a long time, and I feel like you've been in it uh, just as long, you know. Uh, We're in the same ballpark, and so I just feel a real affection for you as a colleague because I know we've seen each other in these circles and online, and, uh, you know, I know I've had clients who've worked with you who've loved it, and, and so to finally get to connect with you after all these years and have our first conversation is a, is a real treat. Hi again. Thank you so much for joining me today. What you heard here is a delicious sample of the loving guidance, heartful inspiration, and practical tools you'll find in my year-long money school, The Art of Money. I hope you found something here to take with you. 
a lesson, some inspiration, or even just a little grace for yourself and where you are in your own money journey. If you're feeling called to wade deeper here, please pack your financial goals, soul deep aspirations, and grab your favorite person. You can find out more at barrytesler.com.